Well, good morning, church, and I feel like I just need to say happy fall, y'all, because uh, that's what all the signs are saying uh, these days. Man, I hope that the last couple weeks um, you have had a chance just to enjoy the common graces of college football um, on Saturdays, playoff baseball uh, during the week, and family time. You don't get no better than that. Uh, that's all that I got to say, no matter what virus is going on. Uh, that is incredible. Uh, a big shout out last week to Pastor Marty Godfrey for bringing the word last week out of Romans chapter 12. Let's give him a big old thank you last week. Uh, man, I just love it. Just getting to hear good preaching every now and then. Uh, it's awesome to do out of those guys. Um, hey, if this is your first day or whether you're joining us online uh, for the first time, welcome, welcome to the family. Uh, it's a great day to be here because we're starting a new series. Today, it is the start and nobody likes to be left out of the party. So today is day one uh, of a new series that we're calling Forever Faith. Forever Faith, because that's ultimately the goal, right? Is to walk out our faith forever and ever and ever and ever. And what we're gonna do just as a family here is we're going to walk through this little letter on the back side of the New Testament called 2 Peter. 2 Peter. Now, when I say the word 2 Peter, I can dare say, no matter how long you have been in church, you probably haven't spent significant time in 2 Peter. I don't know really why, other than the fact that we just always skip it. We love some Philippians, maybe spread in a little Galatians every now and then, not to mention Romans, especially for our Reformed friends uh, all over the world. We love Romans, but for some reason we leave this book 2 Peter out. So I thought, hey, I don't like people being left out. Let's look at this book, right? Uh, let's see what it has to offer. But here's the thing. 2 Peter has been left out a lot of times. In fact, if you look at history, uh, here's a little Bible bingo uh, question for you right here. 2 Peter was one of the last books to be kind of accepted into the canon of Scripture. It took till like mid-300s AD for 2 Peter to finally be stamped as, yes, by the Holy Spirit, it is from God. And here's the cool thing. It happened at a place called the Council of Hippo. Uh, there's one for you. Probably have never heard of it, but just thought it was good to say. Uh, how many times do you get to say it? And I love this book of 2 Peter because here's what it does for us. Even at just a cursory reading, like a fast reading of 2 Peter, you start seeing that 2 Peter is incredibly relevant to where we are right now. And here, here, let me just kind of give you a little background. It's written by this guy named Peter, right? It's 2 Peter. It's the second of his books, all right, of his letters. It doesn't take a theologian to figure that out. It's number two on the list. And this guy named Peter was one of the apostles. Not only was he just an apostle, we just spent a whole series looking at one of the events that kind of changed his whole life and the trajectory of his faith called the Mount of Transfiguration. He got to be at that. He was also one of the guys that Jesus appeared to first after the resurrection. He was in the garden of Gethsemane prior to Jesus's crucifixion. He was actually the guy, check this out, that after Jesus came back and rose from the dead, Peter's one of the first guys that preached at Pentecost, right? He was the guy that stood up in front of everybody in the power of the Holy Spirit and said, this is who Jesus is. This is the Peter we're talking about. I love him because Peter, not only did he 
did he kind of follow the model that a lot of us like to live? But he also had a little bit of mouth on him, right? He had a little bit of an attitude problem sometimes, and that kind of brings him back down to our level sometimes to know that, you know what, that guy every now and then, he kind of said what he thought before he took account and what he was saying. I, I, I don't know if you have a problem with that, but I know some people that do uh, have a problem. I, I'm one of them. But here's what Peter does. Peter gives us this incredibly, incredibly great snapshot into what it looks like to live the forever, forever faith. And he can do it, right? Why? He was, one of the, he was one of the inner circle three disciples that spent the most time with Jesus. He spent the most time walking with Jesus. And here's the incredible, 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 cool part about this letter. It's the last letter that he wrote. It's the last one. And so what I want you to feel just as we walk through this little letter to these Christians is I want you to feel as if here's an older guy, here's a guy at the end of his life, and he's looking back, all right? He's looking back at believers. He's looking back at Christians that have been scattered, that are scared, that don't really know how to deal with all of the pressures of life. And he's looking at all of these believers. He's already written 1 Peter and warned them that it's coming. This is a couple years later, probably about 60, 54 AD, Peter knows that he's about to die. He knows that this is the end for him. Jesus has already told him he's going to be martyred for his faith. And Peter is in Rome and he's looking at everything that's going on in culture and he's really just going, we got a dumpster fire going on here. I mean, we've got like an incredible, I mean, the sky is falling. And let me give you some wisdom. You know, it's hard for us as kind of 2020 Americans to put ourselves in the shoes of biblical people sometime. But, but I want you to know something about the people that he's writing this to. Uh, they're, they're part of the Roman Empire. Uh, they're part of the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire at this time is what? It's the, most powerful, it's the most powerful empire that's ever been on the earth. Has the greatest military of anybody that has ever had. Has more money than any other empire on this planet. Has the strongest kind of road system of anybody ever. And here's the deal. It's imploding at this very moment that he's writing this letter. Catch this. Because if this doesn't sound familiar, you don't have the internet. All right? Here, here's what's happening. They've got these political problems going on, right? I mean, I don't know where those come from. I mean, they've got these political problems that are going on. This guy named Nero is, is in control right now, and, and he's kind of out of control a little bit, but he's the best they got at the moment. And, and they're like, well, all right, here's Nero, and he's like out of control a little bit. And then not only that, they've got this economic problem that's going on. They don't have a pandemic on their hands, but they just had this fire that literally burned all of Rome for six days. The whole city of Rome burned down, which turned into, catch this, a social problem. Why? Because the, Ro the Roman Empire was incredibly diverse, had lots of cultures, has lots of races, had lots of demographics of people that were living in it. And as a result of the political problems and the economic problems, as a result of all this going down, all the cultures turned in to just themselves and they decided, hey, we're just going to do life with our family groups and we don't really care about the rest of the groups. And as a result of that, it showed them that they had a spiritual problem. It showed them they had a spiritual problem. What do you mean? Well, all these false teachers started to rise up. 
And here's what's happening in Rome at the time. These people are coming out of the woodwork claiming that they're speaking on God's behalf, but they're really just false prophets. They're false people, and they're wrapping God's name around all of this stuff. So catch this. Does it kind of look like we're looking into a mirror right here? There's political problems. There's economic problems. There's social problems. There's spiritual problems. They literally, the sky is falling on Rome right now. And now Peter, I love this, through the Holy Spirit, with wisdom, knowing that he's about to go, he says, hey, I need to tell you something. I need to tell you something. And he speaks to the believers. Now look, if that doesn't ring a bell, I'm really not sure how much more I can push it. Because Peter begins to speak. And here's what I know. There's something about the words of a man that's about to go. Isn't there? There's something in the words of a man that knows that, hey, he's coming to the end of his life. There's something about a man that has walked faithfully for years and years. And Peter right here in the mid-60s, he was, he was martyred in 66 AD, so it's probably just before that. He says, hey, I need to tell you something. And he speaks to the believers then, and listen, he speaks to us now. So let's read it. Here's what we're going to do the next couple of weeks. We're going to read some scripture. We're going to talk about it. We're going to read some scripture. We're going to talk about it. And we're going to see where it's going to go on my calendar. Four weeks, but we're going to see where the guy goes, right? Here it goes. Second Peter chapter 1, verse 1. There's a lot here, so hold on. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, pause right there for a minute. I promise we're not going to pause that much the rest of the book. But here's what I need to tell you in this. Peter here, he does something incredibly, incredibly important. What he does is he starts with both of his names. He starts with Simon. That's his birth name, right? That's the one that his mama gave him out of the womb. Simon, that's your name, Peter. But then he also starts with this name, Peter. Now, who gave him the name Peter? Jesus did. Great. I love the interaction we got going on, right? He, he gave him this name, Peter, which literally meant rock. It literally meant that you are Peter, one of, or if not the piece that I'm going to build all of this onto. I'm going to build my church. I'm going to build the structure of what this is going to look like. And so Peter comes out of the blocks and he identifies himself as Simon Peter, his old name attached to his new name. And what he's doing is he's building a long track record of faithfulness. And he's looking at the people that are struggling. He's looking at Christians all over the Roman empire that are just living and they're scared. They don't know what to do. They don't know how to face the false prophets. They don't know how to face the persecution. They don't know how to face the dumpster fire of economy, of all this is going on. And he looks at him and then Peter does something that's incredibly, incredibly important for us to see. Peter, not only he moves from this description of his name, but he moves into these three descriptors of himself that really he's challenging us to be. He's challenging us and he's telling us that we are called to be a couple of things. Look at the verse. It says this, Simon Peter, he begins by saying this, a servant, a servant of Jesus. A servant of Jesus. Here's the thing. Number one, God has called us to become servants. Now look, we've kind of lost this a little bit because, because I'm, I'm at my best when I'm serving me, right? I mean, let's just be honest with each other. I'm at my best when it's my wants and it's my desires and it's my stuff that's on the table. That's when I work my best, when I know it's about me. But what does Peter say? He says, no, 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 no. I am a servant 
of Jesus. The word servant there is, is the Greek word doulios, and it literally means that I am one who has submitted to the lordship of Jesus Christ. I've come to a point in my life where I realize that he is Lord, and I am not, and what he asks of me is of supreme importance. That's what it means. So it, it, it literally is Peter. This guy is at the end of his life. He's looking at it going, I know you got a lot going on. I know you got a lot of questions you want me to answer, but you got to realize, first off, that you are called to be a servant of God. That means that we're possessed by God, we are, we are at the disposal of God, and that everything that we do and everything that we sh say should be in a direction that is moving towards God. So let me just ask you a piercing question before we move on. Do you see yourself more as a servant of yourself or as a servant of God? It's a litmus test, right? Do you see yourself, oh, here, here's another one. Do you see yourself more as a servant of your family? Or let me get even more personal, as a servant of your kids, as you do a servant of God. Because Peter, he could have said anything first, right? He could have said anything. He identifies his name and he says, first off, you are called to be a servant submitted to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. But he doesn't stop there. Number two, he says this, we're called to be apostles. We're called to be apostles. He says, Simon Peter, a servant and apostle. Now, look at number two right here. For you grammar Nazis, I've already lost you. I know it. I got it, all right? I saw you, but like, all right, look at that. He blew it right there. No, I didn't. Seven million dollar budget. The Joker can't even put a capital A on there, right? Here's the deal. Here, here it is. I put it there on purpose because this is what I want you to know. The word apostle literally means one that is sent out by another on their mission. Now, we get a little squirmy when we talk about apostles, right? We get a little squirmy because some of us have been taught that we just stay away from that word, that it doesn't make sense anymore. But here's what I want you to know, and here's, what, here's why I put that as a little a. Some of you just couldn't do it. You're like, I can't write it as a little. Yes, you can. Here's why. There's two types of apostles in the Bible. There's two types, and you need to know this. This is important as you read. The first type are the big A apostles. It's the capital A apostles. That's the 12, right? That's the 12 plus Paul. That's another day. But that, that's the 12, right? Those are the guys that were called by Jesus, that walked with Jesus, that experienced his crucifixion, that experienced his resurrection and ascension and walked with him and did miracles in his name. Those are the apostles, capital A, apostles. We, all right, we are the little A apostles, all right? You'll, you'll never forget little A apostle. That's, that's who you are. You, at the moment you give your life to Jesus, what are you done? What have you done? You have agreed, you have given your life over to God to be sent on his mission and not yours. That's what it means, right? So when you're reading the Bible, sometimes you're reading about the, the apostles, that's capital. But God has also called us to be apostles. What does that mean? That means that we have given our lives to be on mission for who? For God and not ourselves. And not ourselves. But I love this word picture. Because Peter, I mean, I mean, just, just put yourself in the moment. Peter could have said anything he wanted to. Nobody would have challenged him. He was in charge, right? This is Peter that's talking. He comes out of the blanks. I mean, he comes out of the box and he says, hey, listen, I just need you to know right here, I could say anything, but Jesus defines me. 
defines me and I get my worth and I get my value. First of all, that I'm just a slave of Jesus. I am his and I'm not mine. And he says that I've been sent by Jesus. You're feeling the two sides, right? I'm a slave to Jesus and I'm sent to Jesus. I'm a servant of Jesus and I'm sent by Jesus. And look, all week long, this has been heavy on my heart and this is why, because I think, I just think that some of us need to hear this because if we could get ourselves out of the identity of trying to just make something of ourselves or putting ourselves on a pedestal and begin to see that it is God's promise, God's power and God's calling that we're a slave to and that we've been sent to, a lot of that stuff's not, not going to matter anymore. It's just not. A lot of the pressures that we're just falling, like how I am and what is my vocation and who do people think that I am, if we can submit to the fact that we're a slave and we are serving and we are sent to him, look, the rest of the stuff really doesn't matter. And I love that the leader of the church that could have postured himself, that could have put himself up on a pedestal, was like, no, 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 I'm nothing but a servant and I've been sent. That is a message for life. It's a message for life that it gets us out of some identity issues. But I can feel the tension because when I read the Bible and I see people like Peter, I'm like, but ah, he was there, God. I wasn't there. I mean, God, he got to see it, right? You know you've said this. You know you've read like when they got to experience the miracles and see the stuff and you're like, but God, I didn't get to do that. Peter knew that, so look at the rest of the verse. He covers it. Simon Peter, verse one, we're still in verse one. A servant and the apostle of Jesus Christ to those who through the righteousness of the God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Now pay close attention to what Peter says. Peter says, not only am I a slave or a servant, not only am I a apostle, am I sent? He says, number three, I have been called and you have been called to be righteous with equal standing. Righteous with equal standing. Now, when we read the New Testament, now I know this is real churchy. I couldn't come up with a non-churchy way to say this. Here's what I'm saying. When we read the New Testament and we see guys like Peter, when we see the power, when we see what they got to experience, when we see these incredibly highs, things that God did for them, man, it's huge. But I want to encourage you with something that Peter just says right here. Peter looks at us and he looks at them and he says this, hey, listen, your faith is as precious as my faith. And, and I know it might take a minute for that to soak in, but you're looking at the guy, the rock, the, the big A apostle, St. Peter, and he's looking at us and he's looking at all of us and he's going, hey, listen, you have the same salvation that I do and it's only because of the righteousness of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? That means, I wanna point this out because this needs to encourage us that all of us have been justified by the same blood of Jesus. That means that the disciples that we look at, we have the same power. We have the same presence of God in our lives. We have the same salvation in our lives. And look, we have equal standing at the foot of the cross through Jesus' righteousness of any person that has ever walked on this planet. So here's what I want to tell you. For some of you, you are struggling with, with life right now. You're struggling with an identity right now. You're struggling with who you are right now if you have given yourself over to the person of Jesus. Here's the deal. You have equal standing at the foot of Jesus and nobody can take that from you. Nobody can. That's encouraging. 
Why? Because that means that Peter's faith is not different than my faith on a salvation basis. It's the same blood of Jesus. It's the same righteousness of Jesus that did this for both of us. We have equal standing. It means nobody has a more special salvation than you do. Than you do. So when you lay down at nighttime and you're struggling, you need to thank the Lord and Jesus Christ that your salvation, no matter if it was yesterday or 40 years ago, is the same salvation of these saints that we're looking at in Scripture. That's what he says right here. How? 2 Corinthians 5.21, God made him who had no sin to become sin on my behalf so that I may become what? The righteousness of God. You see, when we think about these heroes of the faith, we put them on these pedestals so many times. But look, on a salvation basis, it's the same salvation. The same power is offered to you. Ephesians 1.18, Paul says it like this. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Look, it's even better. That power is the same as the mighty strength that he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and he seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. From the moment of salvation, we all possess equal standing before God. How? Because of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now notice there's no pause in that God and Savior, Jesus Christ. What did Peter do? He called Jesus God. This doesn't happen very often in the Bible. But Peter validated, the Jews missed this, that Peter validated that Jesus was in fact God. So what's Peter saying right here? He's saying, hey, look, I know it's hard. I know it's hard. I know situations in life are hard, but you've been called to be a servant. You've been called to be an apostle and you've been called to level ground at the foot of the cross through the righteousness of Jesus. But here's where we got to look before we go any farther in this book. We have to pause and I need to ask you this. Have you given your life over to this? Have you given your life over? Because here's what I know. This isn't about attending church. This isn't about being baptized when you're a baby. This isn't about any, about any of that. What this says is there's a moment in our lives. There's a, there has to be a moment in our lives where we reach to God and we say yes to his calling. Where we say, yes, you are Lord. And I am submitting myself as a servant and to be sent so that now I'm walking, I'm at the foot of the cross. Let me ask you this, this. have there ever been a point in your life where you've given your heart to Jesus? I'm not talking about going to church. I'm not talking about knowing that there is a Jesus. I'm saying, has there been a part of your life, has there been a moment in your life where you have asked Jesus to forgive you of your sins, to come into your life and to become your Lord? To become your Lord. Because if not, you can settle that right now. You can settle it because salvation is available. It's available. The Bible says that if you will confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you can be saved. Listen, all morning long, we've talked about this next kind of text moment. If, you have, if you're at this moment in your life where you're like, Matt, I need Jesus because I don't even know. I'm not even sure where I'm at. I need somebody to talk with me to make sure that I know that I need Jesus. If you'll text that today, here's the deal. You don't have to wait till the invitation. You can get on your phone right now. I don't know if you're taking notes or playing Candy Crush. doesn't matter, all right? You can get on your phone right now. And you can just text that word next and just say, hey, I need Jesus. And can I tell you something? At that very moment, you have equal standing at the cross. Your sins don't matter anymore. They're gone. He's forgiven you. 
But let's keep going. Look at verse two, because Jesus speaks to the heart of what he wants for you and what he wants for me. Paul, or Peter tells us right here what's happening. Look at verse two, it says this, grace and peace be yours in abundance. That's what we want, right? Don't we really want that in our lives? At the core of who we are, we want grace and peace. Look at how he says we get it, through the knowledge of God and of Jesus, our Lord. Now remember, faith is the baseline. He's speaking to believers right here. We don't, we don't pursue a faith, God pursues us in faith. But, but what does he say right He says that there can be an increasing of grace and an increasing of peace in our lives by seeking the knowledge of Jesus. Now, what does that mean? That means this, if you want more grace and you want more peace to be put into your life, it's not a moment that you just pray about. It's a moment that you pursue in knowing in an ever incremental day by day by day knowledge of Jesus. That's what he's saying right here. It's saying that we know Jesus through salvation, but we know more of the heart of Jesus. We know more of the peace of Jesus. We know more of just him taking and consuming us when he transforms us, when we walk in his name. Here's the thing, you'll never be more saved than you are at the moment that you receive Christ as your savior. You can never be more saved, but you can be more sanctified. You can experience more peace and more presence and more power of God in your life. Look, this is why some of the most miserable people I know are so-called believers that aren't walking with Jesus. This is why because they got one foot outside of the world and then they don't like them, right? They're like, I don't even know why you're making those decisions, just come be with us. But then they got one foot outside of their faith and they're miserable because they don't have the grace and the peace in their life. They're caught in this middle ground. And here's the deal, here's all I know about standing in the middle of the road, both sides hit you. That's where it is. That's where some of us are living our lives. You wanna know if your identity is truly in Jesus? It's when you get to this point in your relationship with Jesus where you're just going, Jesus, I need your peace and I need your presence and here's how I can get it. I start taking these steps. And here's the cool part, Peter doesn't stop there because that's where most pastors would stop. They're like, do it, right? And they're like, see you later, go get some lunch. No, 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 Peter doesn't do that. Look at verse three. He says this. He tells us that it's not our own power that does this, it's, it's God's. Look at verse three. His divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life. Through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness, through these he has given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by the evil desires. Now that's a really big run on sentence right there, all right? That's really hard. So here's, here's basically what it says, because I think it's important for us to know. What he does right here is says, hey, you need, to, you need to be walking after Jesus to get that knowledge, to walk in knowledge, to be ever increasing. But it's only by Jesus's promises that you can do that. And he gives us five things that Jesus gives us right here in order to do it. I'll put them in your notes just so you can have them for the week. Number one, Jesus is the giver of divine power. A divine power, this is what the verse says. What does that mean? That means it's not our power that walks this out. It's the power that he puts in us. But not only that, he's the giver of divine generosity. Of generosity. That just means this, that we don't deserve what Jesus has given us. And the moment that we think we deserve it, we fall into pride and we no longer walk in it. But number three, he's the giver of divine promises. 
He's the giver of these divine promises. And, and that's the Holy Bible, right? All through the Old Testament and the New Testament, we see all these promises that the New Testament says are yes in the name of Jesus, in the power of Jesus. That's what he gives us. But not only that, number four, he gives us an inheritance to his divine nature. You know what that means? That means that the moment you give your life to Jesus, he takes your heart of stone, listen to this, and he gives you a new heart, Ezekiel says. Now, what does that mean? That means when you become a believer in Jesus Christ, you no longer have an evil heart. He gives you his. He gives you a new one. So you don't need to walk around defeated. You are given his divine nature. But number five, he also gives you an escape from the world's corruption. He gives you an escape. Now, what do all these things have in common? They're all gifts from God that Jesus gives us as we're increasing our knowledge, as we're increasing our faith. They all come with faith, but they all continually increase as we walk out our faith, as we walk out our knowledge of who God is. And Peter says it's through these things that grace and peace are incredibly promised to us. So this is what I want you to hear this morning. It's not from the promises of other people that we need to find our strength. It's through the promises that God, the author and perfecter of our faith, has given us the promise of grace and peace and power and generosity and his promises and divine nature and an escape from the things going on around us. Listen, that's more than any of your girlfriends or boyfriends or husbands or wives could ever give you. It's more than any new grandbaby can give you. It's any job can give you. These are the promises of God. And here's the incredible part about the promises of God. He fulfills them. He fulfills them. You know, I, I, I saw a whole lot of promises yesterday watching football on ads, right? <laughs> you know where I'm going with this, right? There, there's a whole lot of commercials about promises from, from, from both colors and animals right now, right? Whole lot of promises. But here's what I need you to know about promises from God. They're yes. They're yes, no matter what's going on. And here's the cool part about it. They're not on our identity. They rest on his power. And so here's what Peter does. I love, love, love this. Peter takes us and shows us our identity, that we're apostles, that we're servants, and that we're standing equally at the foot of Christ. He shows us that it is only through the power of God that we can walk these things out and that we can have these promises. And then he leaves us with a practical way of how we can invite more grace and peace in our life. Because here's what I know about myself. I love a good list. I love a good list. Don't, don't talk to me in kind of 50,000 foot ethereal views. Give me a list, all right? Give me how I can kind of check this off. Well, it's exactly what Peter does. Peter walks through this, this Greek Socrates list. It's kind of this literary list. It doesn't matter, but it just kind of builds virtues on top of each other. And what Peter says is, I'm about to give you how you can walk out these promises and have peace. Keep reading. He gives us the tools. Verse five, for this very reason, he's writing to believers, right? It's the second letter he's written them. Make every effort to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. And then look at verse eight, I love it. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, what does that mean? You don't just get them at once. It means you need to keep on walking in them. 
They'll keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord, Jesus Christ. What does Peter say right here? He says, hey, you need to make every effort to place on top of your faith. Now, know this, nowhere in here is Peter saying that you need to work for your faith. He's saying you work out of your faith. He's saying this, use faith as the foundation and add to faith. And he gives us this list of seven things. And here's my goal for this week. I want you to get these seven things on some kind of piece of paper. And I want you to pray one per day this week because it's this list, listen to me, it's this list built on top of faith that'll begin you walking in a direction that you're gonna begin to see more grace and more peace in your life. That's what Peter's saying. He says, he gives us these seven things and let me just give them to you. Number one, he says that we equip our faith by adding a faith-filled goodness. A faith-filled goodness. Now, what does that mean? A faith-filled goodness is basically the point this. We have given faith through Jesus, right? His righteousness, he's already told us that. But now we begin to point our lives in a morally excellent, virtuous, is the word that most writers use, life that reflects who God is. That means this. That means that we don't just claim that we have faith and go live how we want to live. It's exactly what it means. But some of us feel like, hey, as long as I've got my salvation, as long as I got this thing down, I can just kind of do what I want to right now and then I can call some blessings down from God. He's like, no, doesn't work like that. Maybe, just maybe, there's no grace and peace in your life right now because you're not beginning to walk the goodness of God out in your lives. He starts with goodness, but then he says, add some faith-filled knowledge. Now, these are like stairs. They're adding on top of each other. The foundation is faith, and now we're walking up these. If you want more grace and peace, he's saying, this is what you need to do. Add some faith-filled knowledge. And, and, the, and what that means is it's the practical taking what is up here and what is being poured into us and pressing it down through our lives to where we begin to walk it out. That's what it means. It's a right understanding of deep things. It's the practical application of the right things in our lives. Now, I need you to see this is a process, right? Faith has to come first. We will never have the knowledge of God until faith is built in our life. And then we will never begin to walk out this knowledge until we decide to put goodness in our hearts. And then we start to see the deeper things and they're transferred from our minds to our hearts. And then look at the third one. He said, add some self Control, some faith-filled self-control. Now, don't nudge that person beside you because this is the one right here, right? This is the one. What that means is it's an inner strength to control my desires. Now, that's sticky right there because here's what I hear a lot of times. Well, Matt, you just don't understand who I am. You just don't understand. That's just my nature. <laughs> we already talked about nature. You just don't understand, Matt. I'm, I'm a number eight on the Enneagram and this is just what I do. That's not what he says. He says we need to get to a part in our lives where we begin to be ruled by truth and not emotion. That's the step here. That's the next step of the step, right? He said, hey, put some goodness. That's the moral living. Put some knowledge. That's where you begin to understand the truths of life. And then when you begin to understand the truth, then what happens? Then you receive some self-control. See, some of us start trying to get some self-control before we start getting the truths. God, give me self-control, give me self-control. Maybe, maybe, maybe he wants to put some truth in you first so you know how to walk it. And then he says this, add to self-control, perseverance. Perseverance, remember, these are a process. You have to walk it out. This word perseverance here is this, is this word picture of someone putting a heavy load on their back and walking in a direction towards a goal. 
That's what it means. Some of your Bibles here, they may even have the word patience, but it's not, a, it's not just an inactive patience. It's an active patience of I'm going to continue no matter what is happening around me to walk in this direction toward a goal. Now, here's the thing. If you don't know the knowledge, if you don't have the faith, you can't have the perseverance to put you on a path to the goal. I hope you're seeing the process here. Every day, I want you to pray one of these this week. And then he says, add some faith-filled godliness. Godliness. And I, and I love this faith-filled godliness because it literally means add some moments or add pieces to your life where you just stand in all of God. In reverence and obedience. That's what it means. But here's what we do. I want you to leave this on the screen. Many of us, we begin to try to walk in the all of God before we're persevering, before we have self-control, and before we know what it is that we're trying to walk out in our lives. I hope you're seeing this. You're gifted with salvation. But he's saying if you want more grace and peace, you got to walk a process. you got to move in a direction towards the principles of God. And then he does something that's really cool. He turns outwardly. He turns outwardly. And he says, add some faith-filled mutual affection. Now, mutual affection, you know this word. It's the Greek word Philadelphia. It's where the city gets its name. And it's just brotherly love. It literally means when we get to this point in our life where we're, where we're good, where we're adding this moral goodness and the knowledge of God presses into our heart and we gain self-control over our actions, we start to persevere in the name of Jesus. We add these moments of all in our lives. And it's at that point we start taking care of the brothers and sisters of Christ. I hope you're seeing this is a process of spiritual walk that Peter's given us. And then lastly, he says, walk out faith-filled love. Faithful love, it's the word agape. It means that we begin to not only love the people inside the church, but we love outside the church so that they can see the faith that we have. We can see the faith that we have. Man, I don't know if this excites you a whole lot, but here's what it does for me. It gives me a target. It gives me a target this week. To know that there's this guy, Peter, this founding apostle that walked with Jesus at the end of his life going, hey, I know there's a lot going on. But you have a faith through Jesus and his righteousness. And now that faith is offering you grace and peace. And now what he is asking us to do is just to walk these things in our life. I want, to, I want you to see all these in one picture. I want you to see how all these go together. And I want you to see how faith is the base. And we add the goodness. And on the goodness, knowledge. And on the knowledge, self-control. And perseverance. And godliness. And mutual affection. And then we begin to love other people. So here's what we need to do in our lives this week. As we think Think about this list as we pray through. There's seven of them, one for every day. Kind of cool how that works out. Where is it that I'm stopping? Because here's what I know. When you get through this list, you start experiencing a peace that you have never, ever, ever thought that you could have. This is the peace that Peter had in his life. He knew that he was about to die, but what is he doing? He's turned outwardly and he's loving mutual affection and love towards other people even in this moment, even in the moments of all of this going on in life, what is he doing? He's not spewing nasty political ads. He is talking to the brethren going, hey, I know you're struggling, but you can make it through Jesus and his power. This is the path of spiritual health. This is the assurance and confirmation of who God is in our life. Look, if you're not walking these things out, you need to ask yourself, do you know Jesus? And I'm not being unkind in saying that. 
I'm just saying, I want to know that I know Jesus. I don't want to pull up to the end of my life and go, man, I just missed it. I want to know. In fact, if you look at the rest of this, look at verse 9. Let's read this over as we close. It says, but whoever does not have them, this is the list we just talked about, is nearsighted. If you've been to the ophthalmologist lately, maybe you heard the word myopic. That's what this is. They are blind. They are forgetting what they have been cleansed from their past sins. You know why we don't walk that list out? Because we forget what God has cleansed us of. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. You wanna know? Man, confirm what God has done in your life. Confirm what God has done in your life. If there hasn't been large seasons of your life, that this has been part of your life, you need to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? If this doesn't even matter to you this morning, you need to ask yourself, do I know Jesus? Look, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. That doesn't mean you're never gonna like trip up. That means that when you do fall, somebody's gonna pick you up. That's what it means. And you will receive, I love this, a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. What does that mean? That means some people are just gonna barely skate by. <laughs> but when you walk these things out, you receive a rich welcome. A rich welcome. What does that mean? There's gonna be some blessings that are attached to our eternal presence with Jesus. And they come not just based on that we're saved, they come based on how we walk that out.